I have been informed that today's scripture lesson is a very favorite of some of you here. We like this image of Jesus. But I hope you won't mind if I start with a flashback. Pick up the story a little bit before what we read today. Start way back at the very beginning when Jesus was coming into the world and a heavenly spokesperson came to give the good news to his future mother. The angel came to this woman and made a rather lofty greeting to her. Maybe you've heard it. It's somewhat diminished in the NRSV translation that we read most Sundays where it just says that Gabriel said to Mary, greetings. Call me old-fashioned. I, I like the old King James Version, which uses the language that might be a little bit more familiar to you. The angel began by saying, hail to you who are full of grace. And then Gabriel gave Mary some very specific instructions. Do not be afraid. You ever get the sense that maybe angels don't really get what it means to be human? Or else Gabriel would have understood that the quickest way to incite panic in a human being is to open a sentence to them with, now don't be afraid. And perhaps the second most efficient way to incite a panic is to tell that someone, by the way, you're pregnant. Especially someone like Mary, who, as you probably have heard, had more than a few things at stake at this point in her life, all of which pretty strongly depended upon her staying not pregnant for a little while longer. Angels, we have it on good authority, don't reproduce or marry. So it's hard to imagine that Gabriel had much empathy as he told Mary, don't be afraid. The angel seems all shiny and excited as he invites Mary to contemplate all that is about to change in her relationship to her fiance, to her family, to her friends and her neighbors, even to her own body. But Mary, to her credit, she recovers quickly and after a question and a pause, she faces down the fear and she says, let it be with me as you have said. Oh, that was a long time in the past. By the time we reach today's passage where Mary goes to a wedding of some friends in this town of Cana, and we might understand if the intervening years had made Mary a little less fearful and a little less sympathetic to the fears of others. Mary's own wedding must have been a very hurried up affair without quite so large a party. And we could forgive her if she was as blithe as an angel towards the fears of her friends. When she realized that the wedding feast was running low on wine, don't be afraid, she might have said. This isn't such a big deal in the grand scheme of things. We could forgive her even a little bit of resentment at people who get such large and beautiful weddings. But maybe it was precisely because Mary understood what was at stake when social grace and reputation and the goodwill of your friends and your neighbors is suddenly coming into question. Maybe it was because Mary understood all those fears that she saw all the servants wandering around with empty wineskins and was suddenly more worried, more concerned for the bride and the bridegroom than any of the other guests were. 
Certainly, she was more worried than her own son. Sitting over there to the side with that group of followers who only encourage him to talk about things that do no earthly good. They sit there dreaming and scheming of ruling a kingdom while her own good friends are starting to dart and drop their eyes and look for a graceful way to exit what was supposed to be a day for everyone to share in their joy. If those disciples have noticed the growing embarrassment or even their own empty cups, they haven't thought much about it. They certainly have not thought that it was something that you would bring up to Jesus. So Mary's going to have to do it. She pushes up right in amidst them, walks right up to Jesus, cuts him off just as he was about to say, and the kingdom of God is like Jesus, she sighs. They're out of wine. She's a mother, and so she is acutely aware of what other people are going to think. She doesn't even have to look to know that some of the disciples are rolling their eyes while others are a little embarrassed. And collectively, she knows all those disciples are feeling sorry for poor Jesus, this great man who still has to put up with a mother's worries. Isn't it strange, the disciples think, that she can't see he has more important things on his mind. And even once Jesus puts her in her place, woman, what has this to do with you or with me? She can't let it go. She goes behind his back, whispering to the servants and worrying about things that can't possibly matter. The disciples are much more high-minded. They know what is important, and they cannot help thinking, isn't it strange that Jesus' own mother doesn't get it? Isn't it strange how those who know us best often know us least? But of course, it turns out that the true strangers to Jesus are the disciples who cannot entertain the possibility that Jesus might care about this stuff even more than we do. The disciples who are so wrapped up in what they want to hear that they cannot understand what Jesus actually says. The disciples think that his question, what has this to do with you and me, was meant to cut off his mother, to end the interruption, when in fact it was the question that Jesus has been longing for the disciples to ask. What does this have to do with you and with me? How does this work in the real world? They don't get it now, and the disciples will not get it for a very long time. But when Jesus starts a sentence by saying, the kingdom of heaven is like, his favorite way to end that phrase is like a wedding feast. The disciples see Jesus, and they are caught up in the revolution of it all, the romance, the cool factor. They see him homeless and wandering with just a single cloak and tunic to his name, and they see it as a noble sacrifice. They see what he doesn't have, and they hope that they can be as radical as he one day. But what Jesus wants them to see is the extravagance. They see him, and they think that maybe he's the one who's going to root out all the bad stuff but they hardly guess that he's going to do it by bringing the good stuff. One time, 
Jesus went to dinner, and a woman came in and anointed his feet with the most wonderful perfume that everyone else had ever smelled. And while it was wafting through the place, a year's salary worth just poured out on Jesus' feet. The disciples tisked and said, what a waste. But Jesus said, breathe it in. Another guy at another meal, this guy named Zacchaeus, he was a rich dude. He lived large, y'all. He got so caught up in the moment that he ran out of the party and just started making it rain on everybody. He said, I'm going to give away half of all that I own. If ever I've cheated you, I'll give you 400% back in interest. And as Zacchaeus went out, Jesus said, salvation has come to his household. And maybe you remember that other time. We talked about it a few weeks ago when Jesus took his disciples to the temple and he watched the glittering parade of nobles who rolled up in a golden litter on their purple dyed camels and he watched the parade stop so that their jeweled fingers could carefully count every dollar before dropping a stack into the charity box. But right behind them a widow came by and she just emptied her pockets. She had only two fractions of a penny to her name, but she dropped them like it wasn't a thing. And Jesus pointed her out to the disciples and said, she lives large. When Jesus walked into town, a party broke out. Folks threw their coats on the ground. They waved branches and they started hollering and they made up a parade in the middle of the day just because they could. And it's the strangest thing that everywhere Jesus goes, a party breaks out and fears are forgotten, and the disciples keep looking for the day when the kingdom will come. It never occurs to them that it might already be showing up whenever folks are celebrating the good stuff without fear. At this particular party, at a word from his mama, Jesus brought the best stuff in the house, 900 bottles worth of it which makes me suspect that our prayers are too small. I come to God and I say things, God, just take this greed or this lust or this pride or this gluttony out of my mind. But God wants me to be a saint who shines in glory. I say things like, God, just give me the strength to make it to bedtime. Well, God wants me to run and not grow weary, to mount up on wings like eagles. You know, sometimes I feel guilty. I am honestly afraid to pray for anything more than just enough. But I should be afraid to pray for anything less than enough to share. That, after all, is what grace means. It is a gift that God loves to share. The writer James Poulos explains the power of extravagant grace this way. He said, for a thousand years, the basic idea of grace has remained the same, that you can be free of the fears of this world. The fearful spirit says, I have to do this, given the circumstances. But under the power of grace, the courageous spirit testifies. So hail Mary, full of grace, who walked right up to Jesus and testified. 
who testified to the need, Jesus, they are out of wine, who testified to the servants that Jesus would provide abundantly for it. Hail Mary, who was not afraid to submit even the trifling worries of a wedding feast to the abundance of Jesus. Hail to Mary, who understood that God is asking us not just to do less bad, but is longing to give us more good than we know what to do with or even to ask for. It's interesting, isn't it? That John tells us that all of this happened on the third day. The third day after what? We aren't told. Because the answer is nothing in particular. For Christians, of course, the third day is not a particular date. It's a discovery. If you need reminding, it was on the third day that the crucified Jesus rose from the tomb. It was on the third day that Jesus conquered the most final of our fears by giving us more than we knew what to do with. It was on the third day that God invited us into a gift so extravagant and so abundant that the only word we have for it is eternal life. Third day could be any day. One day it'll be every day. It's the day you receive extravagant forgiveness, extravagant love, and generosity. And it's the day that you receive the courage and the power that make you extravagant in sharing all God's good graces. Do not be afraid. You are highly graced. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.